On today's episode of Locked on Suns, we rank every Suns role player in terms of how much I trust them in a rotation around the big three. Every single one. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Tuesday. No NBA games today, but we got content for you anyway. Hit follow, hit subscribe. We're free and available anywhere and everywhere that you get your podcast. So just hit that button. Get a show in your feed Monday through Friday. Become an everydayer right here alongside thousands of other viewers and listeners, including on YouTube, where you can drop a comment below with your rankings of each of the, I'm ranking nine, Suns role players who have actually played minutes this season. Give me yours in the comments below. Today's show, guys, is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel, where new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 into your account if your team wins at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Tons of new content coming your way that I will tell you about as the show continues, but let's dive into the actual theme of today's show, which is a power ranking of every Suns role player. And I will start with number one. Some people like to start at the end, that's clickbait, frankly, and I'm not going to do that to you guys. So let's start with number one, and that is Eric Gordon. I'm going to give you each guy's averages, just sort of their box score stats, and then I will give you the on-off, how much better or worse the Suns are when that guy plays as well. Eric Gordon this season, 15 points per game, two rebounds, three and a half assists, Almost a steal per game, just one turnover per game, which is very good to see on 47% shooting, 36% from deep, and 56% from two-point range. Interestingly, that man has not gotten to the free throw line at all this year. He has only attempted three in seven games. But the Phoenix Suns are plus 1.8 per 100 possessions when Gordon plays and that's spread out pretty evenly. There's a lot of guys, as we'll do this, that are one or the other. They're either very helpful to the offense or very helpful to the defense, but not typically both. The defense is a little worse when Gordon has been on the court, but that's mostly, in my opinion, because his backups are Kogi and Goodwin, who have been very, very, very good on the defensive end of the floor, and that makes Gordon's numbers look a little worse. The reason I have him number one is it's not that complicated. I think he's just all reliable here. There are going to be some games. I can't remember who it was. I believe it might've been Tim Legler who has an awesome new podcast, part of the all city network, which PHNX is a part of. I recommend you listen to that. Him and Mara's Adam Mara's are great, but he called Eric Gordon a straight line driver, just like very specifically. That is what he is. Right. And I think that's a great way to put it. You will notice when Gordon doesn't have a lot of when he doesn't have a head of steam, when he doesn't have a lot of space, 
when there is help at the basket, when he gets to the basket. His game is a power game. His game is that straight line game. And so there are going to be limitations to what he's going to be able to do, but I'll take it, right? Because there is a lot of space often with this Suns team. Whether it's a Durant post-up or it is, you know, Yusuf Nurkic spreading the floor and opening up the paint that way or transition, that's what the Suns are going to try to do. And he's often going to be the... I mean, even in this down, weird stretch for the Suns, Gordon has still only been the second best option offensively for the Suns. That's great. He's never Houston Gordon, where sometimes Eric Gordon offense was the best thing the Rockets had the past couple years. In a better role, where he does have the ability to just be that shooter and straight line driver, I'll take it. Defensively, We'll continue to see how he looks in a close game when he is maybe the fifth guy out there. I still think he's not going to get targeted. I think he's good enough to hold up and his strength helps him. We will have to monitor that. But he's number one with the bullet to me right now because he's just been so steady and you can easily see that role leveling up when, fingers crossed, Booker and Beal do come back in the next week or so, and everybody's on the court. Number two, this is where the big surprise happens. Number two is Drew Eubanks. All right? Drew Eubanks. I just trust him. And I know that's the point of the exercise. We're ranking based on trust, but I don't have... a. Bi- I'll tell you what differentiates him from Nurkic, but I just feel good when, when Drew Eubanks is out on the court for the Suns. That feels that you know what his role is, you know he's going to execute it. The averages. Drew Eubanks this season. 7.4 points, 5.4 rebounds, including 1.5 on the offensive glass, and almost 2 blocks per game, even 2 assists per game. Secretly, quietly, a player who can facilitate some of the dribble handoff stuff that Yusuf Nurkic is so good at, and has a little bit of feel on the short roll when he catches the ball too, where he can playmake, and that's been a nice surprise. He is shooting 61% from the field, has not taken a three, of course, and he's holding all that in only 20 minutes per game. The Phoenix Suns this season are 5.4 points better per 100 possessions when Eubanks has been on the court. That's actually the third best mark on the whole team, but this one is a little bit lopsided, as I mentioned before. The defense is where you really see his impact because Nurkic has been kind of a problem on the defensive end, to say the least, Whereas Eubanks, maybe the end of that Spurs game where he's guarding uh, Wembenyama, uh, other moments, has held up and held his own better. So the on-off is noticeable, but it's big on the defense. And let's just do that comparison now. Him versus Nurkic, right? I will give Nurkic some credit, and he'll come up in a minute, so we won't spend too much time on him, but he said post-game to Dwayne Rankin after that Pistons win, where or the win over the Pistons, where he acknowledged that the adjustment, the new role, has been a challenge. It's been an adjustment. And I think that's fair. But if I'm getting decent offensive results, as, as Frank Vogel and, and Kevin Young, when Eubanks is out there, And that's 
with lesser talent. I would think that the ability of Beal and Booker to make difficult shots might even make Nurkic's life or Nurkic's value less and Eubanks' value or Eubanks' effectiveness even higher when it's just simple stuff and you don't need the passing and ball movement to get your offense off the ground. But that's a little bit of a hypothetical. Either way, if you're getting a decent amount of the playmaking and decision-making that you want from the center spot with Eubanks and the defense is more confident, more comfortable, more athletic, more mobile with Eubanks in there, that starts to tell its own story. And I'm not saying he should start. I'm not saying that I think he's just a better player. I don't think I'm necessarily ready to go there yet. The Suns brought Nurkic in for a very specific reason, which was to playmake and to defend and drop coverage. If they have their full personnel and some of the players we talk about later come along, I want to evaluate Nurkic in that capacity because I think he's one of the players that actually will benefit most from that. However, in this capacity, with less talent out there and no stars often, Eubanks has still managed to make an impact that's noticeable and valuable, and so he comes in at number two. After the break, three, four, and five first, today's show. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can score early all NFL season long. With FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your account if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. I was absolutely right, and I hope that you listen to me because I don't even cover the NFL, but I know about the Arizona Cardinals, and I know how... Betting works. I know how markets move. I know how people think. And the Arizona Cardinals, I believe it was eight and a half. It feels insane to say that now, and you can check me if you noticed or remember what I said on Monday's episode, but they are now only a point and a half favorites. I want to I, I say it was eight and a half in favor of the Falcons, but I can't imagine that it moved nine points. So maybe I'm remembering last week's line. Either way, Make Kyler's return a little more special. Get that money line bet down. I feel good about the Cardinals. Maybe you do too. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get that 150 bucks if your team wins that money line bet. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. We're keeping it rolling. As we rank the Phoenix Suns role players in terms of trust, in terms of effectiveness, in terms of consistency, this year. Who do I feel best about? Also want to let you know to join the Locked On Insiders text alerts, which launched on Monday. You get my first reaction to all Suns news and rumors. Today, I already gave you my thoughts on the John Wall quotes about joining the Suns, as well as Sham is reporting about the Suns timetable on Booker and Beal returning. You also get exclusive game day content and observations when I'm at Footprint Center or when I'm at practice. My thoughts, pictures, things I notice, things that are on the ground that I might not tweet, that I might not see. I'm coming here before Twitter every day, every single time, as well as exclusive video breakdowns that I'm hoping to do 
whenever I notice something big, I don't want to say weekly, I don't want to say definitely daily, but monthly feels too infrequent. So I promise you I will put some video content on my YouTube channel that is private that I just send to you guys. You can also respond to me one-on-one. I'll do Q&As there. Join the Locked On Suns Insider Text Alerts now. Be in the know all the time with me. Click, click the link in the show description below to get that or visit subtext.com slash locked on suns. Again, that link is in the show description wherever you're finding the show. Just click it and it'll take you to where you need to sign up. Number three on the Suns role players that I trust the most Grayson Allen. It might come as a surprise that he's below Drew Eubanks, but I couldn't push him more than this down the list. He is averaging 11.4 points per game. Four rebounds, three assists, just two turnovers. 47% from three, 46% from two. And the Phoenix Suns this season are 6.2 points worse per 100 possessions when he is out on the court. Now again, he, he has made the offense better. The team is better offensively when Grayson is out there. The defense is where they have improved with him off. They've played better defensively. They've held teams to fewer points when he's off the court. But again, as I said with Eric Gordon, a lot of that is Okogie and Goodwin have just been so suffocating that Allen's numbers are going to look worse. I don't personally think Allen has been any sort of bad player on defense this year. In fact, you could make the case to me that he's been the most overextended player on this entire roster. And maybe the best indication you could look at for Grayson Allen so far this season is that his three-pointers are going in, and he is letting them fly. He's at 47%, as I said, but the attempts have been at five per game and six per 36 minutes. So that could even go up a little bit. I don't remember. I'll I'll look right now what his averages have been in those numbers attempts-wise the past few seasons. He was at five a game last year, six a game the past two seasons in Memphis and then in Milwaukee, and then last year again at five for Milwaukee. Per 36 minutes, he wasn't playing so many minutes with those teams, so he was more in the 7-8 range per 36. I have a, a reason to believe it could go higher as the assists come down, the ball's in his hands less, and if that efficiency comes anywhere near 47%, you're going to be in heaven as a, as a Suns coach, right? This guy's just done his job. And in terms of being overextended on the defensive end, I mean, he was the guy on a lot of those uh, Wembenyama highlights where the dude is getting yammed on. He is just in a bad spot. He's having to guard players that are bigger than him. He's having to guard players that are quicker than him. I think early in the season, I thought he was allowing penetration from the likes of Chris Paul, D'Angelo Russell, and I mentioned that. I feel like some of the Devin Vassell slip-ups were Grayson, but he's a team defender. That is all you want him to be. Can he execute, rotate, have a high IQ, be in the right position, help where he needs to help, and not make mistakes? And I don't have not seen anything dire to make me feel like he cannot do that. Number four, Yusuf Nurkic. I just couldn't put him lower than this. Now, on off, Nurkic is, it's pretty ugly, again, on the defensive end. And this is all such a small sample, and I get that, but it's worth looking at. It's worth 
kind of having our snapshot of this moment in time. And Nurkic, the team is four points worse per 100 possessions when he has been on the court this year. They are allowing the opponent to shoot better. They are fouling more. And allowing fewer offensive rebounds. So even that's a positive, even though the defense has been ugly. But the, te- the, the opponent has an effective field goal percentage, which is just an average of twos and threes. I know that's throwing a lot of numbers and stats at you guys, but just you know what I'm talking about. Context clues, you get me. Five points better in terms of effective field goal percentage this season when Nurkic is on the court. And that backs up what we're watching. They're fouling more, they're, con- they're contesting less, and teams are just more comfortable on offense scoring against the Suns when Nurkic is playing defense at the center position. Now, the offense has also been better. A lot of that is offensive rebounding, in my personal opinion. But we know the passing impact has been there. I think the biggest knock that I would put on Nurkic, passing up layups and taking threes. That is exactly the opposite of what you want. You know, uh, in, a, in a season where across the league, so many centers these days, and he's not a non-shooting center. He can shoot it. And I think what we saw last year with Portland and what we've even seen early this year from the Suns, I didn't give his averages. He is shooting uh, 24% from deep and 46% from two. Ugly. Uh, nine points per game, eight rebounds, two on the offensive glass, and a nice four assists per game, one steal and one block. That all makes me think, okay, take a couple if they're wide open, but you should be, as the rest of the league is doing, turning those open space three-point opportunities into dribble handoffs. That's what a lot of the best centers do. I got off on a tangent, but that's what I was saying. And you should be taking every single layup that comes in front of you, right? And, and he's not doing that. That's the biggest knock. I'll wait to see what the defense looks like when they're playing with more consistent size on the court, when their defense is able to get set more often, when they're not turning the ball over as much, missing shots as much. He is another guy that I just have to see it. I wouldn't say he's been overextended like Allen. I would just say that what he's being asked to do is just going to be less impactful when he's surrounded by worse talent. Number five, we'll move real quick here because this is just me being a homer or sticking to my guns, I guess, might be a better way to put it. Kata Bates-Diop. It's the same as when, in sports content, you see power rankings, and the writer or the podcaster or the video guy will say, we are intentionally sticking a little bit to what we thought preseason. Right? There's a lot of ways to do power rankings, and this is basically a power ranking. I'm sticking to my preseason observations, my preseason beliefs, my off-season beliefs even, right now more than necessarily the performance on the court. KDB Bates-Diop this year. Only played into four games, 17 minutes per game. He is shooting 43% from deep and 55% from two, but those are microscopic samples. He's only taken seven threes and 11 twos. So don't even buy into those numbers much at all. Three rebounds, one assist, almost one block per game. But it's hard to even do much with that. On off, the team has been basically neutral with him on the court. Better on offense, a little worse on defense, but the best moment was the close of the game against the Spurs in the second game last Thursday. 
If you believe he can do that, guarding up, making open shots, but the other part of what he does that can be a good and a bad. I think I've said it as a positive and a negative already this season, so I'm, I'm clearly not sure how I even feel about it, but it's there. He can attack a closeout, and he has a little bit of touch, and if the ball ends up in his hands, it's a little bit TJ Warren-ish where it's like, we, if I'm a coach for these guys, I want you to be a 3 and D player, but also like don't forget what you were when you were a bucket getter. Can you try to bridge the two, right? I sort of think of it like Josh Green and the Mavs, if any U of A fans remember him. The dude was like a point guard pretty much or a at least a ball handler when he got to Tucson. You watch him in Dallas now and it's like, really you're just sort of like a, a, a guard defender and a three-point shooter, but every once in a while he'll remind you like, oh yeah, I used to be a point guard. And he'll bust out a nice pass or he'll dribble into the defense and make something happen. It's kind of like what you want with Kade Bates Diop. Don't forget you used to get buckets, right? Don't, that's not your role, but like keep it in the back of your mind, you know? And he's shown that a couple times where he'll have a nice little kind of leaner off the glass, a little floater after he gets into the interior. If he gets it around the paint, he can get that. And so, Yes, it's the size. Yes, it's the length. Yes, it's the defensive potential and the three-point shooting, which has to be there. But also, there's a little more, and that gives me some optimism that if he can find a role, he could do more with it than the average player could. Next, we'll find out where his competition at the forward spot in Nasir Little and Yudawat Nabe land, as well as the two defensive guards that I haven't mentioned and might make you guys all hate me for. Next. First, today's show brought to you by Jace Medical. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, and we know that peace of mind with your medical situation is of the utmost importance. And the Jace case from Jace Medical is a personalized emergency medication kit that gives you that peace of mind. It contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case now and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. They offer customizability with dozens of add-ons. You can choose the best fit for you and your family's medical needs. Think of it like a first aid kit for antibiotics. That's the best way to have it in your head. What do you need a first aid kit? Band-aids, gauze, ointment, Advil maybe. Jace Case from Jace Medical gives you the more intense stuff, the more important stuff that you really need if you were to Let's say get sick, not be able to leave the house, have a car breakdown, anything like that, or obviously some of the circumstances around the world have been even more intense in recent years. So go to jacemedical.com, enter code locked on at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. That's promo code locked on at jasemedical.com. We're closing out the show with the rest of our rankings six through nine on the Phoenix Suns role players I trust most power rankings after two weeks. Very, very long, unofficial name there. You can also follow the Locked On Suns TikTok account for game day reaction videos and more. Going to be plugging all of this new content stuff for you guys every day because I want it to be great, and I want you guys to follow it. I want you to find me there. Twitter's dying. I don't know what the hell is going on with Twitter. Forget it. I'll be there. I'm maybe still a little bit addicted to it. I know a lot of you guys found me there or are on there. 
I'm not going to rely on it, on it anymore. It's a weird place. If you look at the valuation, it's kind of tanking. TikTok is perfect for the video recaps I used to do after every game, so you can go there for those. Any sort of fun stuff, silly stuff, weird stuff, I will be reacting to on TikTok as well. That is also in the show description, and it is just at Locked on Suns on TikTok if you're already a user and you just want to search me. Number six on the Phoenix Suns role player power rankings that I trust most right now, Yuta Watanabe. He's going to be streaky, folks. As much as you can say about what he is on defense that is potentially impressive or surprising or underrated, he is not very surprising or well-rounded on offense. And that's just the reality. It's totally fine. He is on a minimum contract. He is the ninth man on this team. It's all good. I just, we've seen the full experience, right? He is an excellent team defender for, for what you want from a bench player. He does not make mistakes very often. He might not be the best athlete, but he moves well for how big he is. He is relentless in terms of contesting. That's why he's gotten some surprise blocks on guys this year. And he just knows how to use his size. Offensively, he is at six points per game, 33% from deep this year. Uh, not even a half assist of an assist per game. And the Phoenix Suns are 12 points worse per 100 possessions with Utah on the court this year. And actually, the offense is the worst part. Now, again... The caveat with the defense, he has played a lot of minutes with Kogi and or Goodwin, so he's going to be more trustworthy, or, or he's going to look better, even if he might not necessarily be some sort of lockdown defender. The stats are going to show that he impacted the game because he was out there with good defenders. I just, if the shot's not going in in a given night, in a given week, in a given month, his value goes away. He's not somebody like Diop, Bates Diop who has some of that touch and feel to score the ball outside of a jump shot from deep. So that's why he's number six. You know, that's why he's below Nurkic. That's why he's below Bates Diop. It's just we're seeing the limitations of what he can be even at his best. And maybe we haven't seen his best, but the facts remain. Number seven, Josh Okogi. The Spurs showed it to us. The Spurs showed it to us. Just like the Nuggets showed it to us last year. Akogi is at 8 points per game, shooting 27% from 3 and 57% from 2 this year. 4 rebounds per game, including 2 on the offensive glass, but only 1 assist, 1 steal, and about half a block. And the threes are on 15 attempts, so nothing huge. But honestly, that's part of the issue. He is only taking 2.9 threes per 36 minutes. The offensive rebounding is massive. I mean, we we know that, right? It's it's like you don't want to understate it. He is average. He is uh, rebounding almost nine percent of opponent shots. Uh, oh, sorry, of the sun shots when he's on the court this year. That is. Better than everybody on the team outside of Yusuf Nurkic, and he's only 6'5". Like, I don't want to overlook that. It's impressive. It is a way of making himself valuable when he is not a shooter. But it's not enough. He needs to be taking more threes. 
at least if they're open and living with the result of a miss, if need be. And he needs to be playmaking, frankly, right? That's why, that's the difference. One is his lack of elite finishing ability. A lot of those offensive rebounds turned into a, turn into assists, right? He's looking to kick it back out. He is a guy who has never had a season in which he finished more than 62% of shots at the rim. That's not good enough. That is like small guard numbers, and he's an athletic wing. So it's that, and then it's that playmaking-wise, he is not somebody who can initiate offense or create for his teammates. And so that's why you don't see him put in positions like other players who are similar to him. Bruce Brown, who has turned into more of a real shooter than maybe we thought at the beginning, but like Nets-era Bruce Brown, Pistons-era Bruce Brown. He sh- Bruce Brown this year is shooting 46% from deep for the Pacers, so I don't even know what's going on. Gary Payton. These types of guys who are basically small centers. You could even say P.J. Tucker, Draymond Green, whatever. excuse me, you can't use a Kogi like that as a screen and roll man, as a dribble handoff person, any of that stuff, because he's not a great passer and he's not a great finisher. So if all that he ever really does on offense is offensive rebounding, which sounds very reductive and kind of rude, but like it, it's sort of true. If it's just that the defense that's not enough to keep the defense on the court. And when I say the Spurs showed us and the Nuggets showed us, it was Victor Wembanyama guarding, quote-unquote, Okogi and roaming and blocking everything at the basket because he didn't have to worry about Josh Kogi. It was the same thing Nikola Jokic did, who's not even as good of a rim protector, but it just allowed Jokic to not really have to bother with playing all that much defense, moving his feet, doing what he needed to do. Even Tony Allen, who's like the poster child of this type of player, was a pretty good kind of point guard, you know? Not the most biggest of a scoring threat, but at least a point guard in that he could dribble, handle, and pass. Akogi has to do one of the above in order to be trustworthy, and that's why he finishes so low right here. Nasir Little, to me, is number eight. We'll go through these ones a little bit more quickly. Nasir Little this year is averaging in... 11.6 minutes per game. He is averaging four points, one rebound, and zero assists, one steal. He is shooting 30% from deep and 75% from two. But again, very, very small sample on a lot of that stuff. The Suns this year have been 17 points worse per 100 possessions with him on the court. We had a blip where it looked good, guys. I just don't think the decision-making and processing is where it needs to be. That has been the knock on him for a long time. I want him to be better than he is. I want him to be able to make plays on a good team. I want him to be able to use his size and his athleticism to make game-changing plays on the defensive end of the court, to be a offensive rebounding, finishing threat on offense who can knock down open threes and be a real guy you have to worry about physically. But if he can't keep the ball moving, make the right pass, um, rotate, keep an eye on his man and the guy that he's helping against defensively, these little things, he's not going to play. Number nine, Jordan Goodwin. I only put him so low because of the duplication. I've made the joke on the podcast and online a bunch of times that 
until further notice, Goodwin and Nakogi are the Spider-Man meme of him pointing at himself. That was replicated, of course, uh, in No Way Home. Right? Is that what it's called? Homecoming? No Way Home? What's the other one? I don't remember. They are too similar. And so that's why I put Goodwin uh, below. Goodwin this year is shooting 28% from deep, which is a little bit better, but he's shooting it more and still not having good results. And uh, most problematic for Goodwin is that he's shooting 28%, sorry, 33% from two. That's just untenable. That can't happen. You cannot have anybody on an NBA court who shoots 33% from two in a rotation of a playoff team. It just is not. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. Shooting 5 of 11 at the basket this year and never gets to the free throw line. So he's not a good enough passer or three-point shooter to, to live with that. And yes, the defense is great, but Kogi is probably better at defense and more trustworthy because he's a vet. And all of that adds up to, I don't think Goodwin will play when Booker and Beal get back. There you go. Your... Two weeks in, Phoenix Suns, role players I trust most power rankings. Make sure to hit follow or subscribe to get this show in your feed Monday through Friday, but also subtext.com slash locked on suns for the locked on suns insider text alerts. My first reaction to all suns news, exclusive day, game day and practice content from the Footprint Center and the Verizon practice facility, exclusive video breakdowns and more. TikTok for game day reaction videos, instantaneous after the buzzer. More and more stuff for you guys. I really hope that you sign on, that you like what you're getting, that we can interact more as well and grow this thing outside of the podcast. That's the end goal. All those links are down in the description below. I will be back with you on Wednesday with one more show. Might be able to line up a guest. We'll see. And then a, re a recap of the Bulls game and Aaron Edwards to close out the week. Hit follow, subscribe, as I said, and I'll talk to you guys next time.